Welcome to the Process Breakdown Podcast, where we talk about streamlining and scaling operations of your company, getting rid of bottlenecks, and giving your employees all the information they need to be successful at their jobs. Now, let's get started with the show. Dr. Jeremy Weiss here, host of the Process Breakdown Podcast, where we talk about streamlining and scaling operations of your company, getting rid of bottlenecks, and giving your staff everything they need to be successful at their job. I'm really excited to introduce today's guest, Chip Hart of DScout, and I'm going to introduce formally uh, Chip in a second. Before I do, Chip, I always like to mention other episodes people should check out of the podcast. People can check out. We did one with David Allen of Getting Things Done. Michael Gerber of the E-Myth, the past COO of Charity Water, and many, many more. So check those out. And this episode is brought to you by Sweet Process. And if you've had team members ask you the same questions over and over again, and maybe the 10th time you spent explaining it, there is a better way. There is a solution. Sweet Process is actually software that makes it drop dead easy to train and onboard new staff and save time with existing staff. And I was talking with one of the owners, Owen. Not only do universities, banks, hospitals, software companies use them, but first responder government agencies use them in life or death situations to run their operations. So I was thinking, Owen, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. You can use Sweet Process to document all the repetitive tasks that eat up your precious time so you can focus on growing your team and empowering them. You could sign up for a free 14-day trial. No credit card is required. Go to sweetprocess.com, sweet like candy, S-W-E-E-T process.com. You know, Chip is smiling because we are going to be talking about bottlenecks on this call. And, um, you know, this goes out to, you know, tens of thousands of directors of operations, COOs. So this is the topic everyone wants to hear about. And to introduce Chip, Chip Hart is a CEO of DScout. And DScout is a mobile video-based consumer insights company that provides an innovative, qualitative research platform to its many consumer-obsessed customers. I mean, if you're a company... You want to learn what your customers think and how they use your product. So this is what a company can use to gain insights on their customers so they can pr- produce better services, products, and everything like that. So check it out at dscout.com. Chip was COO for SoulSource and was a principal at McKinsey and was a lieutenant commander in the United States Navy and was in the Navy for seven years. And he was even a helicopter pilot. Um, and you know, he is, he is no slacker. He got an engineering business degree from Penn masters at Georgetown MBA from Harvard chip. Thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having us. And I appreciate your description of D scout. Maybe I could hire you because we're hiring and then we could use sweet process to onboard you. And I would, I would have a much easier life. Boom. So thank you. There you go. <laughs> tell people, you know, I mentioned a little bit about D scout uh, tell people a little bit more about how companies use your platform and what what DScout does. Sure. So DScout is a great platform to understand consumer insight. Our customers range from small agencies to some of the world's largest technology, consumer goods, financial services companies. And they're, they're really interested in what is happening to their customers. How are they feeling? What are their needs? And they want to learn about it in the moment when that need is happening. So we have a whole bunch of uh, people. Anyone can be one of these people. They're called scouts. They carry our mobile app and our customers can access these scouts and get insight from them in the, in the moments that matter. And they would do this by asking 
survey style questions, uh, observing them it, in when they're experiencing a good or service, oftentimes by video. We all carry a, a research device in our pockets now, and that's our smartphone, and gives people a chance to uh, to to talk about and show uh, what they're experiencing. So a lot of fun and a platform that really helps companies make things better. We're going to, I want to talk about a few examples and we will talk about how do you de-bottleneck your company uh, in a sense? And we're going to get into that, but, but first, so people can kind of touch and feel what you do. I'm curious of an example. So there was a major electronics company. Here we had uh, one of our recent customer experiences was a major electronics company that was creating its first over-the-counter hearing aid because you know more recently companies can do this and they used our platform to understand what was working for the people that were trialing the product, what the experience was to get the product and use it for the first time because now instead of being in a doctor's office you're you're buying it over the counter and what the quality of the experience was and then they could use this information to uh, help uh, make their product better very very quickly and then take the final product out to market so lots of opportunities to do research there we have another large tech company that really wanted to understand the impact of their product on uh, mental health in young people. And so they used our platform to uh, get the people that were participating, who were all teenagers uh, or in their early 20s and experiencing challenges, to submit pictures of how they felt on different days and, and try to symbolize the challenges they were facing. And the, that company even took that information and uh, and turned it into a book uh, that could help everybody understand what people were going through. So it's a very wide ranging platform. Uh, lots of things can be done with it. And this is one of the largest tech companies out there that that everyone has heard of. Um, you know, talk about how the campaign works. So from a company perspective and user perspective, a company would come on, use your platform, and deploy a campaign. And how does it work from there? So we ask our customers do something called a, a mission. That's what uh, you're referring to as a campaign. Uh, they would come onto our platform and they would create uh, what we call a screener. And a screener is an application uh, to participate in a research project. Everyone has probably done these. You know, you fill out a survey. How old are you? What's your income? What are you doing in the marketplace? Whatever. And uh, then a whole bunch of people from our panel would come back and apply. And then our customers would select participants to be in the mission. And the mission might include anything from uh, talking about an unmet need on video, answering survey questions about, you know, tell me what happens the next three times you go out and do X, okay? Uh, or it, it might be about, um, what's happening on the web or in an app for a company. Uh, we help companies make their, their apps and their websites better uh, as well. So lots and lots of different use cases, all tied to helping our customers understand what their customers 
really need and what matters most to their customers. Now, um, is it the decision of the company where they some pay people, some don't pay people? Almost all of our scouts are paid for every mission. There are circumstances where that's not the case. It might be for a charitable or educational uh, type of mission, Mm -hmm. but usually the scouts are getting paid. So it's a great way for, uh, it's a great thing for the scouts as well. So when people from a, from a consumer perspective, can someone sign up to participate in studies as well? All they have to do is download the D-Scout app uh, in the app store on, or on uh, Google Play and put in some information, accept our terms, and off they go. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, because I was doing research for this. I, there's numerous videos out there like, I made $432 with D-Scout. And so there, there's both sides of that. So you can check out dscout.com. You know, Chip, I'm, I'm wondering some lessons you learned in the Navy. Okay. You were a helicopter pilot, probably many other things. What are some things you learned about operations from being in the Navy? I think the most important thing I learned um, is that, and I learned that I could apply to business, is that, you know what, no matter how badly I screw something up today, nobody's going to die. And in, in the Navy, if I screwed something up, somebody was going to die. And trying to keep that perspective can just help everybody to take a deep breath and just stay centered and move forward. Um, Also in the Navy, um, we learned the importance of just trying to get started on time. And I'm not talking about like, do you show up late, uh, you know, for a meeting. I'm talking about getting, you know, you have to get the mission done in the Navy and you got to take off on time because there's someone who's trying to take off behind you and getting going on things and getting momentum is so important because you're thinking usually about you, but there's five or 10 things that are depending upon you making progress. And so building that momentum and and getting going is super important. Yeah. And that kind of goes into the conversation of bottlenecks because for someone to get going and someone else to get started there's bottlenecks that happen. And so you're trying to constantly remove those bottlenecks. Exactly. I mean, we've gotten to the size now. D-Scout's about 140 people that are headquartered here in Chicago, where there's a lot of moving pieces. Um, you can't solve things by brute force. You can't do everything manually. And you have to start looking at your operations as a series of, uh, of business processes, almost like a whole bunch of little factories. And, and we don't tend to think about in the tech world, we don't tend to think like that because we're usually not making something. And so you tend to think of inefficiencies and bottlenecks as something that happens in the manufacturing world. And it's really the same in tech. It's totally the same. You're making something for your customer and you have to ensure that step-by-step step, things are not getting held up You're not spending all your life uh, rushing around trying to expedite. It's really very similar to manufacturing. I did a lot of manufacturing work at McKinsey and have been surprised at how how the same it really is. I want to walk through the de-bottlenecking process that you take your team through. And, you know, I know you do this for the staff, for the customers on many levels. Um, 
But you started off with your team recommending some resources before you even got started. Talk about that. Yeah. So we we asked our leadership team to read a book that is a classic. It's got to be 40 years old. It's called The Goal. And it's the story of a man who's trying to save, he's a plant manager, and he's trying to save his factory. And to do it, he has to radically cut cost and increase output and basically de-bottleneck the plant. It's really one of the fundamental premise of lean lean thinking, okay? It was written back in that day. And it really gets people to think about their activities in terms of a process and in terms of trying to make something. And so we all read that book as well as some materials about lean. I'd done a bunch of lean work at McKinsey and you know, lean is about removing waste. And the more waste you can remove and the more you can simplify and identify things that are not of value to either your customers or your internal customers downstream, the better. So we started by talking about about that, and uh, it's a great book. Recommended to everyone. Are there any other resources, books you recommend on this topic? And I, I do. The goal is one of my favorite books, and not only is it, you know, it sounds like it could be dry. It's actually pretty riveting because it ties in someone's actual personal life in it, and it it overlays the mm-hmm. person's marriage in this whole situation. So it's right. it's really a great read. It, it really is. It's a little bit like there's a few cringy moments in it nowadays. Life has changed since the 19, I suppose, like late 70s or early 80s when it was written. My leadership team pointed those out to me. Uh, <laughs> I'm the oldest one, so I was less. <laughs> I noticed them less. But uh, the there, there's a lot of resources. We try to not focus Really, we just looked at some basic lean resources and the goal because most of the learning when you're doing this, you get by doing it. Okay. So just come up with the two or three simple, most core principles eliminate waste, find the constraint, that sort of stuff, and then start to apply it. People, adults in particular, learn by doing, they learn in the moment when things are happening. So So we wanted to get people into the process. Yeah. And Chip, so I want to walk through a little bit about this process and how you use lean service ops with your team. So the first thing you did was you said, check out these resources just so we can all be on the same page. What's the next thing that you, you did? In parallel, we looked at the company and broke it down into 14 or 15 core processes. And for example, the one of them was order to cash. Okay, so look at the process from the point where we get a sales order to the point where the cash comes in the door and it has been put into our accounting system. Doesn't sound too exciting, but extraordinarily problematic in, in our case for a wide variety of reasons, right? Another one was a challenge everybody faces right now, which is the hiring process. Uh, we all know how hard it is to hire in tech. I mean, it's a battle every day. Well, there's a process behind that. It starts with planning and finishes with onboarding. So we uh, we broke the company into about uh, 15 different processes. Um, after that, our team did some prioritization. Said, let's learn how to do this, and we we picked four processes 
and we began working on those. And so to do it, we, and, and this is something that, you know, back when I was a consultant, I would have had a team of three or four people taking weeks and weeks to do. And, and, and we would have documented every detail of the as is process and, and everything. Uh, that, that doesn't work. That does not work in a tech company, particularly a startup y uh, sort of company with a very fast moving agile culture like D Scout, right? And so we just very simply laid out the key, um, all of the key process steps and the key information flows in a process that took a couple hours, not several days. Uh, and we, you know, we're mostly remote as a company. So we did this all in Trello. I used to do this on, on like you would cover a whole wall with brown paper and have sticky notes everywhere. And, you know, it was quite the production. Uh, it was fun, but it was just, it was like a big production. We did it on Trello and then brought the, the stakeholders in to identify what well, they had to validate what we had written, you know, the steps. And then they, we all went through an exercise where they identified pain points because eliminating waste is really about eliminating pain and ask them, okay, what is, you know, what are the, where are customers frustrated? Where are you frustrated? What, for the people that are more downstream in the process, what's, what's giving you problems upstream? And asked a series of questions about how to, you know, was that could identify pain. And then after that, we went through a really fun exercise where everybody got to brainstorm solutions. Again, all in Trello. And if I learned one thing at McKinsey, it was, you know, the best way to solve problems like this is just to ask the people that are handling them every day. The front line has the answer 90% of the time. My job was to just figure it out, quantify it, and put it, uh, put it in a, a nice PowerPoint, you know, and uh, help everybody through the change process. But we went through the process of, uh, of figuring out solutions. We then took that data, stepped back, and tried to identify the, really that core bottleneck. What was that one resource constraint that was holding up the whole process? There's usually only one or two that are real. And then what are the areas where we could reduce pain in the process? It might be by automating or putting in a tool. It might be by changing the process steps. It might be by changing a policy or procedure. And we're now in the process of implementation. So we started small. Uh, one of the ones we're working on is the order to cash process I mentioned. We discovered we were doing a giant painful activity uh, twice in parallel and then reconciling between two data sources rather than just doing it once. And this is like hours and hours and hours across multiple departments, this extraordinary amounts of pain, lack of data security, lack of uh, ease of reporting, the poor access to information, all because we were doing this one thing. So now we're fixing that one thing. It's going to take some work. We have to put in a new tool. We have to change some people's rules and processes. But over the next quarter, we're removing a major bottleneck in our uh, in our financial processes, and that will pay a ton of dividends. 
uh, you know, very quickly. So it, it's really, it's, it's pretty straightforward how to do this. I wouldn't say there's magic. You just have to buckle down and get it done. There's so much there, Chip. And I wrote down 10 different steps here. Um, and I love how you lay it all out. Um, I'd love to hear, how do you, are you, you said you chose four um, to prioritize off the start. Mm -hmm. Are you running different teams in parallel to work on those, each of those four, or is one, do you just use one at a time? Um, we are doing them as close to in parallel as we can, but there is limits. You know, tech companies at Descout, we're, we're 140 people. That's not a lot, right? In the whole scheme of things, we're a small company. We're growing, we're hiring. We need amazing people. I, I do have to make a plug here, but, but we're still a small growing firm. We don't have giant consulting teams or anything like that. So everybody who's helping on this has a day job. And so we, we picked four because we wanted to make sure that we could identify the biggest issues. And we had a hypothesis that our biggest issues would be in the four that we picked. And then uh, we involve people who are part of the process. And then we have a, a small team, uh, have just two amazing colleagues that are really helping to drive this, uh, Jess and Carl. And Jess and Carl are just amazing people. And they are able to work with me and the process owners to really understand what's going on and then just make some good decisions about how to proceed. Yeah. And I imagine, I'm curious, the structure of the meetings, because you have to set time aside. I mean, anyone's listening to this, they may go, well, this seems like a lot of work, but it's even more work to do two things simultaneously. So you're eliminating mm -hmm. a lot of waste, time, energy, and money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even those dedicating a lot of time to this, think of how much time and money you're actually saving by doing this. So how do you set the time aside? Like, oh, we have meetings once a day or how, how does that work as far as because this could go on forever because you always have something to eliminate right. um, you know eliminating waste and find the constraint right now we're just aimed at getting a few of these done and demonstrating to the company how powerful it can be so we uh we had one session where jess carl and i put together the overall process steps and we did some pre-work on that Okay, then we kind of validated that and, and pulled it together. So that was a few hours of work. Uh, then Jess held pre-meetings with some of the key process owners. And those were about half an hour to an hour. And said, hey, like, can you please validate these process steps and these information flows? Okay, they moved some things around. They added some people, you know, got it set. Then we did about a two hours between one and two, I think about 90 minute meeting where we did these exercises. And that was with on average eight or 10 people that were partners in that process. Uh, and, and then came back, uh, had discussions with, these are mostly department head level people about what we had found. Um, but w then Jess and Carl and I came back tied together the information and um, made some recommendations to our leadership team uh, because I'm the COO on the leadership team, right? So then we kind of boxed it all together and 
and had some discussions uh, with our leadership team. And now we've started the implementation process. And that's not about meetings. That's about doing. So like if you're Making having a lot changes. of meetings, you're probably not doing this right. You know, uh, and we gave ourselves one month to get the four um, workshops done. That's pretty quick. Yeah, but that, you got You got to be quick. Take off on time and get going and then don't stop. OK, <laughs> and then uh, and then go from there. So what I ha have just to summarize for everyone. So first, get, you know, look at some of those resources that Chip mentioned, then document the process. There were 15 that you documented out there. Um, you laid out some of the, the key factors. You did it in Trello and with some of the information flows. You brought in stakeholders to identify this is all correct. Then you you know, identified some of the pain points within those information, within that flow. You went over the solutions. You identified the core bottleneck within that process. It's maybe one or two things. Then you look at the areas to reduce pain, whether it's automation or changing the system um, or changing a policy. And then you actually went to implementation. Um, you know, from your experience, Chip, the 15 core processes, is this um, across all industries that you saw or did you, are these specific to D Scout? Some were very specific to D Scout. Uh, for example, the process by which we recruit, choose and pay our scouts. Okay. That, that's very unique to D Scout or our industry, whatever. But most of them are very cross-cutting. Order to cash. Okay. Lead to order. Um, hiring a person, uh, you, you can imagine a lot of these are just core business functions. I'm, I'm wondering the prioritization stage, right? I don't, I'm curious, again, all of you and your team's time is valuable. So choosing the right ones in the right mm -hmm. order is, is important. Um, were there any, I don't want to say arguments, but any disagreements between the three of you of which ones to prioritize? Well, we started by coming up with some principles to do the prioritization. So that included some things like, where could we reduce the most pain, which, you know, we took all the pain points and we started to, we put them on a matrix and the axes were um, how much impact you could have and how easy it was to get there. Of course, you want to start with some of the things that are high impact and easy to do, right? But there's other characteristics that might be more important. And that's things like, um, is the leader of, the pro of that process, the business owner, do they have the capacity and the interest in fixing this? Because in any effort like this, the change management is more than half the game, right? And you have to, it, you're, you're changing people's hearts and minds, not just what pool they use. And so you have to have champions for that. People have to be invested. Um, are there dependencies? Like if I go make this change that we're going to make in our order to cash process, uh, is that going to screw up things in our sales process? Is uh, Are we ready for that change in the upstream sales process? Is that going to cause a problem when we do our financial audit, you know, and uh, because we don't have the right data? You can imagine the dependencies. You have to think about that. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a spider web and finding, you don't want to pull the wrong thread in the spider web and, and get the order wrong, but mostly it's, 
you know, will this have impact? Is this going to build support for the program? Is the leader, does the leader have capacity and is the leader interested in being involved right now? You know? So we go through this whole process, all this time, energy, and work, which is then we get to the implementation. And you mentioned a key point, which is you get to, you do all of this and now you need to get the people, make sure they're on board with the change. And they may be saying, well, I'm used to doing this way. It's quicker this way, even though, you know, once they start using it, it may be quicker, easier, better, but sometimes people don't like change. So what are some of the ways you do to get people on board with, okay, we figured this out. We figured out this better way for you and the company. How do you get them on board? And like you mentioned championing. So we're, we're in the midst of this now. The, the most important way to get people on board with the solution is to involve them in the problem solving upfront, by far. Because when we had process participants identify the pain points, and identify potential solutions. Now it's their ideas. And I guarantee you their ideas are going to be better than my ideas. I'm a step removed from the process. And it's their pain that's going to be solved. So now everybody knows how their life is going to be better before they have to make the investment in fixing it. Um, yeah. And we saw a huge, like the problem we're having right now is not a lack of desire for change. It's people fighting to be at the front of the line to get their stuff fixed. And yeah. I think it's mostly because we involve people in the process. We've also, I've been very excited, some of our leaders and process, like frontline process participants said, look, it, we know there's not bandwidth to fix all of these things, particularly if there's a tool implementation or something like that. We know there's not bandwidth to do everything right now. So we're not going to wait for the formal, our formal, you know, time in line. We're going to find five or six things that might be process related or policy related. And we're just going to do those on our own. And I was like, great. <laughs> right. The sharing the process of the process so they can start to fix things. And once that once you get to that them and the prioritization, they may already fixed most of it or a lot of it, and you could just do some tweaks. That's that's right. And hey, maybe we do uh, some interim steps and we roll back in later with some permanent bigger fixes. You know, the best way to fix a process is to eliminate it entirely. And there's a lot of things we do in business that if you really looked at it and you really need to do that. Does the customer really value that? Does it? really have to be this or have we just always done it that way and so hey maybe you can come back later just get rid of the whole thing you, you never know but um the more you know and also if you let people you know just do make some changes on their own of course the risk is now our big de-bottlenecking process will not get credit for that right <laughs> <laughs> you have to or it does because they followed your bottlenecking process. But you're right. You just have to get any concerns about who gets the credit out of your head. It doesn't matter. We're successful if the teams are successful and the you know and the company is more successful. And that's what's that's what's most important. Let's say you know, Chip, someone's listening to this, CEO's listening to this, like, this sounds, I actually want to, you know, implement this, they're thinking, 
And like you said, you have to get everyone on board with the de-bottlenecking process and it's mm-hmm. you have to buy into it and it's going to save time. What are some of the objections that people may get from the other leadership, the other leaders on the leadership team? And um, how would you recommend they overcome them to bring something like this to their company? It, it probably depends on individual companies, their state of maturity, their size, their complexity. But it's the usual, it usually comes down to uh, resources and a battle over resources. Um, and every company has these. The battles are usually not very big unless it's a really big company and people are fighting over lots of budgets and blah, blah, blah. but it it people are, you know, are, does this mean I can't hire someone because now someone's doing this? Does this mean uh, I'm I'm not going to have some money or I'm not going to have in tech? A lot of it is I I'm going to lose access to um, engineering capacity and whatever I'm interested in that's important for me on the roadmap is going to get pushed back. Okay, so it's things like that. Yeah. I've found the best approach is just to let everybody talk about their concerns and then just have an open discussion about it, right? It, because it's very rare in a particularly a growing smaller tech company that people aren't headed in generally the same direction. And the CEO is usually trying to pull everyone in the same direction. Our CEO Michael Winnick is fantastic at that. And, you know, we're, we're setting the stage. And so frame it around where we're trying to go and what things are going to be improved because of doing this and then, and then go at it and let everyone talk about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, it seems obvious if you want to, you know, remove bottlenecks, save time, energy, money with the staff so they can provide better services, but not everyone, you know, I can see that push pull with this, like, we only have so many resources we're busy right now. Do we, can we take mm-hmm. on another project and all those things that go on internally? Yeah. And yeah, I love what you said about meeting, you know, all that stuff. Right. I love what you said about, you know, involving people and getting people on board, which is almost baked into the process. So if you're involving people in the beginning, when you get to the solution, they've been giving their ideas the whole time. So it shouldn't be, if done right, it shouldn't be an That's issue right. at all. Um, yep. Chip, I have one last question. Before I ask it, I want to just point everyone to dscout.com. It's D-S-C-O-U-T.com to learn more. And uh, this has been fantastic, Chip. I appreciate you um, sharing all of your experience with us. And last question is, um, you know, we're in, I'm in Chicago and you're in Chicago. Um, other Chicago tech companies people should look at and maybe tools that you guys use as uh, tools, software that you use internally as a company or ones that just, you just admire out there that people should check out? Sure, uh, that's a good question. Um, the, the tools that are most important to us right now tend to be tools that have become very important because of remote work. So, uh, you know, we went from a world where at D-Scout, we would all gather around the whiteboard or like a pinup board and write things down and, you know, hash them out and and talk about it to a world where we have to do this remotely. So the one of the tools I've already spoken about that's been 
very, very uh, helpful for us is, is Miro. Uh, that, that's a, like a virtual whiteboarding tool. And um, that's the tool. I think I might have said Trello before, but really it's Miro uh, that we use to do the, uh, the exercise, like the process exercise. And it's, it's got those virtual sticky notes on it that you, can, uh, that you can use and organize. That's been very helpful. We also have made a lot of use, even in the operations world, um, with uh, Trello and other agile tools like that. And we've gone to great lengths to, to make our company, not to make our company agile and put those processes in place. And agile is really just the modern version of lean, okay? Um, we, in, not just in our engineering, not just for our engineers who are product people, but really, um, of course, for, for everybody. Like I manage sales, I, I, sales reports to me and, and I do a lot of our contract work and we manage our entire customer contracting process on a, on a big Trello board and it, and it works really well. Um, we also find it's important to get feedback from customers as we're building our platform. And so we do that with tools like you know, Pendo and uh, that are, are very common for tech platforms, but also with Dscout, like we use our own tool uh, to understand what our customers are thinking and what they need. Uh, we ought to be doing that or we would be rather hypocritical, right? And uh, we also use uh, a number of, I guess I'd call them administrative tools. Uh, one that I use a lot is Carta. Uh, which is a tool for managing equity, um, you know, equity and and our board of directors and all that. It's a very complex uh, tool, lot to it. But all our all our all our equity, all our stock, our options program, all that has to be managed and is done there. And then the last one that we use a lot uh, is about um, communicating output and all of the numbers that every SaaS company. That measures itself with. And uh, we use Tableau for that. And Tableau is very good at visualization. Um, we feed in uh, a, a whole bunch of data from our platform, from our financial systems, et cetera, from Salesforce. Of course, everybody you know, uses Salesforce, right? We, all of us are in Salesforce all day. Um, but it goes to Tableau and then people can see how we're doing much closer to real time. It's not just the information. It's like, do you get the information when you need it? And is it accurate? You know? So uh, that's, that's a lot of work. Besides that's, all the rest of the stuff we all use, you know, Zoom and Google Sheets and uh, everything like that, you know? You know, Chip, it makes me think of, of one last question, which is how did Dscout attract you? Because when you look at your, you know, amazing mm -hmm. kind of career, you could have gone anything, gone anywhere. You could have done anything. Mm -hmm. Why Disco? So it's, a, it's an interesting story. Um, when I left McKinsey, uh, I, was, I was one of the co-founders of Chicago's Olympic bit. Okay. So I spent a bunch of time first with McKinsey. And then after I left McKinsey, working with our Olympic bit, which we unfortunately lost to uh, Rio, as, as you may recall. And I really, after that, wanted to spend time in the entrepreneurial space. So I was doing that. And I was sitting on the board of directors 
of a tech company here in Chicago uh, called Coupon Cabin, which is an amazing, amazing company in the coupon space. It's a coupon aggregator, like the coupon codes that you bring to and, and cashback uh, company. Just an amazing company. And Coupon Cabin had used Dscout before Dscout was spun out of the firm that it was spun out of. So Dscout was very small back then to uh, help it with some strategy and uh, customer research. And I met the CEO because I was on the board. And uh, he asked, his name's Michael Winnick, and he asked if I would uh, help raise Dscout's first round of outside funding. And so I did that and I brought to the, uh, to the deal uh, one of my mentors from McKinsey, a uh, guy named Pete Georgiatis, Sinetra Group, great guy, had, had been one of my mentors, and he's uh, invested in a number of early stage tech companies here in Chicago. Um, they asked me to sit on the board at D Scout. And uh, a couple of years later, uh, an opening came up that their, their CEO, really, it was their director of operations left. And so they asked me if I would if I would join, and that took a while, but I joined, and I've been there ever since. And uh, now, you know, and D Scout is when, when I got there, I think we had like twelve people, maybe. Now we're a hundred and forty, and we were a really little company back then, like a great idea, doing good for the world, but but we were a little company, and the chance to participate in that kind of growth with great people, um, with great investors in a company that's doing something good for the world. You know, like we help make all sorts of things a lot better. Company, you know, services, products, everything. It, that's really cool. Uh, yeah. So I keep sticking around, you know? So uh, now uh, now I've, I've been there and uh, I'm having a lot of fun and, and, building a career at D-Scout. I love it, Chip. And it's funny because the way you explain the, the, the process, the prioritization process, and at the end about championing, getting people on board is involving them in the process. And that's basically what the CEO did with you is involved mm -hmm. you in the process the whole way. And then yep. it's like, we need you. And you're like, okay. So I love this story. I love all of your you know, sharing your journey and your expertise. Everyone check out dscout.com or episodes of the podcast. And Chip, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for giving me the opportunity. This has been a lot of fun and, and really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Process Breakdown Podcast. Before you go, quick question. Do you want a tool that makes it easy to document processes, procedures, and or policies for your company so that your employees have all the information they need to be successful at their job? If yes, sign up for a free 14-day trial of Sweet Process. No credit card is required to sign up. Go to sweetprocess.com, sweet like candy, and process like process.com. Go now to sweetprocess.com and sign up for your risk-free 14-day trial. Hi, 
This is Owen, the CEO and co-founder here at Sweet Process. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast interview, uh, actually, you know what I want you to do? Go ahead and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That way we get more people aware of the good stuff that you get here on this podcast. Again, go on to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Looking forward to reading your review. Have a good day. That's right.